Welcome into the Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast. Your first reaction to yesterday's results. Saturday had its quirks. Kick is on the way, and it is good. Alabama and the Citadel are tied at 10. It had plenty of drama. Tamu fires. Brown. Caught. Touchdown Ole Miss, or did he finish it? Under further review, the ruling on the field was a touchdown. And there were plenty of blowouts. Fired it deep, looking for Johnson. Touchdown, Mississippi State. Let's kick it around the SEC as you enjoy your coffee on this Sunday morning. You're listening to the Matt White Podcast. All right, welcome in. Let's get it started. Sunday morning quarterback podcast. Thanks for tuning in. The show presented by Mississippi Land Bank. If you're in North Mississippi, you have a land need. That could be a question. You might even be selling land, but certainly if you're trying to buy some for any reason at all, maybe you're going to build a dream home, maybe Certainly, farmland or hunting land, anything like that. Folks at Mississippi Land Bank will get the job done, and they're the kind of folks that you want to do business with, and I'm kind of giving you my personal guarantee on that. I've met the people, and you'll be glad to get to know them. And they understand that farming is not just the simple life. It's big business most often, and sometimes it requires big loans. Same thing for that big you know, private piece of uh, property that you're going to hunt as opposed to Uh, the public land, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's time for you to think about that. Any of those cases, they can help you out at Mississippi Land Bank. If you have a question on who to contact and when, look them up at mslandbank.com. Sunday Morning Quarterback also brought to you by Farm Bureau, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Your local Farm Bureau agents are your home team. Folks just like me and you, born and raised right there in town in many cases, and serving the local community, volunteering here and there. Your local T-ball coach could be your Farm Bureau agent, and it's somebody that they understand. If you give them your uh, insurance business, you're hiring them 24-7. They're available to you. You have a question at night or on the weekend, call them up. Go see them. And when they say they are the home team, they really are at Farm Bureau. Appreciate you tuning in. Hope the coffee's good and warm, hot, (laughs) not warm, but hot this morning. And um, kind of a crazy night last night in Nashville. I'll admit I did not stay up to watch it. Uh, Doze on off to sleep. Got up and finished watching it this morning. And certainly the catch, no catch deal in overtime for Ole Miss was just, you know, uh, one of those things that's a tough deal. Now, we'll get into that. The rule as it pertains to that play, how it was called. Uh, You know, I think in terms, for me, I'll kind of give you a, a hint, but I think for me, in terms of you know the way I kind of situated in my head is is the it you know is they called it according to the rule. I'm having a hard time spitting it out. I think they called it according to the rule the way it is written. I just don't like the way the rule is written. Uh, I think it makes it difficult and it kind of takes the ball out of the hands of the players. But we'll get into that. Plenty of blowouts around the SEC. I had a close first half in Tuscaloosa. Alabama's team just disinterested in playing the Citadel one week before the Iron Bowl, one week after the big game against Mississippi State, which is to be expected. So when they come out of the halftime locker room, they turn on the gas, and it's a blowout. But he had an interesting first half. And Mississippi State really played well against Arkansas. Now, Arkansas is not very good. It's a two-win team. But in other ball games, of course, some of the home games this year for Arkansas and in recent weeks, they've been more competitive. You know, they fought tooth and nail a little bit there with uh, LSU 
at least gave him a ball game. But in Starkville yesterday, it was uh, you know slow first quarter maybe. You know, State had the long drive and were trying to punch it in to go up seven nothing and incomplete on third down and didn't get it, so they go up three nothing. So it's kind of a slow first quarter. But State just then you know turned on the gas. Fourteen points in the second quarter, score three touchdowns in the third. I guess all three possessions in the third quarter went for touchdowns, and then 14 more points in the fourth quarter. And meanwhile, kept Arkansas out of the end zone. So uh, State was, I thought, was really good, and they just really executed very well on offense. And without Kylan Hill, they still ran the ball really well. Aris Williams had over 100 yards, which is um, just kind of what he does. And so we'll get into some of those details. And then kick it around the SEC, a whole bunch of blowouts. There was... um, there was one close game that was in Lexington, a close game between Kentucky and Middle Tennessee State, but the rest were all blowouts. And the thing is, uh, Missouri-Tennessee, the 2.30 CBS game, you know, one of three SEC on SEC matchups, and it was a blowout. Missouri just ran Tennessee off their own field, 50-17 to the final in that one. So we'll kind of look at that. But I'm uh, going to start off with here, uh, I'm going to go through – kind of the highlights of, or, or not necessarily play highlights, but we're going to take a look at the uh, high spots in the Mississippi State-Arkansas game, some things that jump out to me. And then I'll flip it over and a few thoughts on Ole Miss-Vanderbilt and talk about that play uh, quickly. And then we'll run down the scores in the SEC and look ahead to next week, which will be rivalry week here around the league. And so before we get the stats started, again, thanks one more time to uh, sponsors of this podcast, Mississippi Land Bank. I really would appreciate if you'd let them know you heard about them here on the Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast and the Matt Wyatt Podcast. And next time you have a land need, use them. Talk to them. Mississippi Land Bank at mslandbank.com. And of course, Farm Bureau, Mississippi Farm Bureau, your home team, local agents, competitive rates, fast and friendly service. So give them a shot as well and tell them I sent you. And if you want to Free quote, you kind of want to see what it's like ahead of time, do that at favrates.com. Go to favrates.com, type in your zip code, and it'll spit out a free quote for you right there. Okay, turning it over to Mississippi State and Arkansas. A couple things in the game. Uh, It's senior day, and seniors really played well for State. State has a better football team all the way around than Arkansas. More talented, more complete. Uh, more balanced roster, offense, defense, uh, very deep. Obviously, at State, they've done a great job in recruiting uh, comparatively, I guess. you know. And then, of course, you have the whole coaching turnover, and they're just in the throes of the middle of the turnover um, at Arkansas still, even though you're in year one with Chad Morris. Uh, they got a long way to go from a personnel standpoint and everything else. One cool thing is uh, just before the game started, uh, our guy, uh, Jonathan Eaton, was not in the booth with us as our spotter this week. Instead, it was uh, Jordan Smith, who uh, we know Jordan. He's helped us a bunch. And right before kickoff, he goes up to get something to drink, and the press box comes back down in the booth and sits down. He goes, well, that was interesting. I said, what? He said, I just ran into Jerry Jones uh, in the drink line in the press box. <laughs> so Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, was in the press box. He was at the game because his grandson – uh, John Stephen Jones got to play at the very end of the ball game uh, as the third string or fourth string quarterback, yeah, or a third string, I guess it is. 
So anyway, that was neat. That's kind of how the, the game started. But it was a neat thing because it was senior day. Uh, all the seniors honored before, just like every team does on senior day. It was also, uh, what was it, uh, a, a, a attention to service or appreciation of service, kind of a military-esque type of day, which is really cool because the band at halftime performs and marches out. They spell the lettering of Army, Navy, Air Force. They play their songs, and they honor military um, servicemen and women and veterans who are in the stadium, which is just a really neat thing. Uh, the team wore the uniforms honoring uh, the service of Sonny Montgomery. Uh, we had the flyover of the big, huge cargo uh, military plane, which was just the whole thing was neat, and I think a lot of people enjoyed the fact that you finally had that 11 a.m. game that allowed you to get there early, have a have a a day game on what was just the absolute most perfect day weather-wise you could possibly imagine for football. You know, the high of about 62 degrees, bluebird skies during the day, a little bit of breeze. I mean, it was just absolutely gorgeous all day long, and I just think people enjoyed it. Now. It didn't make for any tailgating before the game, but at kickoff, you had a really good crowd. I don't know what the announced um, was. I guess I can find out here in the notes. They announced uh, 57,000. I think it's about right. You know, you have a stadium that seats 61, 62. It wasn't quite full, but it was a fantastic crowd uh, for the game. Thing is, everybody got in there right at kickoff. You know, there was no full student section 30 minutes ahead of time like you'd had on the night games. Uh, so everybody got in there right before kickoff because uh, a lot of people getting in at the last minute got bogged down at the metal detectors coming into the stadium. And uh, But still, you had a great crowd. The atmosphere was really good. Senior day, everything was just lined up just right. I mean, it really was. And then the crowd was into it. It was loud. State had the momentum from the get-go. You could see right away Arkansas was – I mean, they made a few plays, but they were just not going to score uh, against State's defense, and they – they did, and they managed two field goals in the game. And State's offense right away started going up and down the field. I guess their first two possessions were scores. Went for a field goal on the first. Like I said, they got it down to the two-yard line and had to settle for a field goal, which was a little disappointing. And, and Fitz had a guy open on the pass, just kind of sailed it. He was a little amped up. But uh, their next possession, they go down and score. And if I'm looking at it, State had two uh, punts in the game. That's wrong. No, they only have one punt in the game. And I'm, I'm wrong. It was on their second possession. So State started the game, field goal, punt, TD. But the, that one punt was the only punt of the ball game. And the only other time that they had a blemish on their um, possessions in the ball game was one where they didn't get to run an offensive place when uh, you had a fumble down there at the Arkansas 30. And the thing about that one, again, it wasn't an offensive possession. Okay, so if you look at the drive chart, it says fumble at the Arkansas 36. What it was is Arkansas fumbled. State's defense created it. Jonathan Abram picks it up and is returning it, and he fumbled it back to Arkansas, so they got it back first and 10. So technically it was possession of the ball, but it wasn't an offensive possession. Okay, so if you look at the drive chart, I guess what I'm saying is everything, every time State touched the football, it ended in a score. There were no turnovers offensively, all except for that one possession where they had to punt it. Um there in the first quarter. So uh, the offensive possessions in the game were field goal, punt, TD, 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 touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. <laughs> so a pretty good day offensively. Um, let me point out a couple things. Uh, first of all, pregame, I'm watching senior day festivities. 
And I, I put the binoculars on several of those guys coming out. But one of my favorite players over the years has been Deion Calhoun, uh, the offensive guard. And I just have always you just appreciated his toughness, physicality. Excellent player. They've been so good in the middle of that offensive line. He and Elton Jenkins and Daryl Williams and he and Jenkins seniors. But I watched Dion come out, and as soon as he got to uh, Coach Cohen and President Mark Keenum, those were the first two greeting the seniors, he already kind of had that look on his face of, um, you know, he was emotional. And Dion's this great, big, huge physical guy. And when you hear Dion talk, his, his voice, uh, it's an octave or two lower than Barry White. It's the deepest voice I've ever heard. It's just... Uh, you just think about, you know, masculinity, and then there's a guy who's on senior day. He's got tears in his eyes. It kind of tells you what that what it means to him. And so then I followed him with the binoculars when he got to his family. It was pretty emotional. Um, it looked like a mom and a dad and uh, maybe a sibling. I don't know. But he also had a little one there to greet him, a little baby girl that he held. And they were all crying, very emotional. And it kind of got to me because it brought back a lot of feelings, I think, that I hadn't thought about or really sensed in any way in 20 years. And I kind of remember what that's like. And it was just a reminder to me that what goes on on those Saturdays down on the field and all the work that goes into it to lead up to it, uh, the players, it means more to them than anybody else. Because I think they understand they only get a short time to do it. You know, you're only given a short time that you're eligible. And then when it finally does come to an end, it's this big unknown. I mean, everything in that kid's life, all he knows is playing ball. And it kind of slaps him. Hey, this is going to be the last time I run out here. And when your family's waiting on you, it just, again, to see the emotion from their family on that day in that moment when he's getting ready to play a game, it just reminded me that as emotionally invested as we get into it as fans, even as coaches, supporters, everything else, nobody has more invested in this than the players do. Nobody wants it more. Nobody has sacrificed more, has given more effort, um, energy, every drop of um, sweat and sometimes um, aches and pains and cuts and bruises and bleeds. They've given everything to it. It means more to them than anybody else. And it was pretty obvious that you know, it was an emotional experience for him. So that was neat to see. And then uh, the seniors began to make the plays in the game. The offensive-defensive lines, who are senior-led, dominated the ball game. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald on senior day was really good. He accounts for five touchdowns. He throws four and runs one more. Okay, And, you know, you can look. Anytime he's out there, he's a threat to go 14 carries, 85 yards, and a TD a six-yard-per-carry average, and that's what he had. Um, again, winning formula for State is when running backs carry the ball more than he does. Eris Williams, 15 carries, 104 yards. He didn't have a touchdown run, but he had 15 for 104. Nick Fitzgerald had 14 for 85 in a TD. But in the air, throwing the ball is where Nick was really sharp yesterday. But it didn't start out that way. I was looking at the comparison if he had 14 pass attempts in the ballgame, if you draw a line right down the middle and separate the first seven attempts from the last seven attempts, in the first seven, he was two for seven for 14 yards. Slow start throwing the ball. Missed a touchdown on the first drive. But then the last seven attempts of the game, he was seven for seven for 150 yards and four touchdowns, including 
his last four pass attempts were four consecutive touchdowns. So if you look at it this way, the last four possessions of the ball game, when Nick was out there, all ended in touchdown passes, and they were all part of drives where there was only one pass attempt. <laughs> um, and it's yeah, it was pretty interesting how that worked. He, you know, they had the one where they get the ball at the three because of the turnover, and so they only ran one play, and it was a touchdown pass. But the other three were you're out there, you're running the ball, you're running the ball, you're running the ball, you get down there, throw it once, touchdown. Run, 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 throw it once, touchdown. <laughs> it was really super efficient, and Nick was uh, very good. But the best player on the field all day long, and defensively there were several guys that were stars. Um, I mean, Jeffrey Simmons was outstanding, seven tackles. Sweat was really good. I thought Chauncey Rivers, it may not necessarily show up in the stats. I mean, he had three tackles and a, a sack and a QB hurry on the stat sheet. But I thought Chauncey Rivers played maybe his best game, but not a senior. But Jonathan Abram, the safety, was just unbelievable in this game. Twelve tackles, three and a half tackles for loss, a sack and a half, seven solo tackles, two quarterback hurries, forced the fumble, picked it up, and was all over the place. And made there were a bunch of plays he made, again, that don't show up in stats, blitz off the edge, force a quarterback out of the pocket, and now a teammate comes and makes a tackle. That happened for Willie Gay, who was really good. He had seven tackles and, and two TFLs, a sack and a half. All in all, as a defense, five sacks and 12 tackles for loss. But Jonathan Abram, who will play NFL football, is very, very versatile. And... He is um he was unbelievable yesterday. I mean, Arkansas will be they'll close their eyes for a week and they'll see number thirty eight running all over the place. And Jonathan on senior senior day could not have played any better. State uh, really efficient. If you look at uh totals in the game, state four hundred and seventy five yards of offense, two eighty seven of that on the ground, but you know, super efficient in the pass game. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald goes 9 of 14. Keaton Thompson went 3 for 4 for a touchdown. So it was 12 of 18, 188 yards passing and 5 TDs. Really efficient in the pass game. State was 7 of 10 on third down, so they're 70%. This was, from the word go, a, a an old-fashioned behind the wood, take them out behind the woodshed and just beat them up. I mean, it was one of those where one team is so much better than the other. It was like, we hey, we've got you here for sixty minutes, and we're locking the gates. You got nowhere to go. You can't leave. You can try to fight it. <laughs> it is what it is for sixty minutes, and you knew it from the word go. It was as a complete as complete a performance as state has had all year, paired with um, Arkansas was just overwhelmed from the word go. I mean, they really were physically. Physically, it was as big a mismatch as I have seen in a football game this year. And look, I'm telling you, State has played Louisiana Lafayette. I mean, they started with Stephen F. Austin. That might have been close. Um, you know, La Tech. Those were, you know, I'm telling you right now, Louisiana Tech was much more physical in the game against State than Arkansas was. And kind of gives you an indication of maybe where they are too. 
And, you know, back uh, preseason, uh, the old coach Jack Crow said on an Arkansas radio show that Arkansas was twice the program that Mississippi State is. And I tweeted after the games, some of y'all check on Coach Crow because that may have been the case 30 years ago, but it's not the case anymore. And it was just really obvious yesterday uh, on the field. All right, let's uh, flip it over to that Ole Miss-Vandy game. So that game came down really to one crucial call and crucial play, right? Isn't that sort of what happened? I mean, and if you look at the scoring in the game, it was an entertaining game all the way around. I, again, I didn't stay up for it last night. Really wasn't feeling well when I got home last night. Had to, I just couldn't keep my eyes open trying to watch it, so I went on to bed really early and um, got up this morning early and finished watching it. And, you know, you saw Ole Miss up 13 nothing early on there in the second quarter, midway through the second quarter, and you're sitting there going, now, hold on, nobody saw this coming. You thought both offenses were going to go up and down the field on each other, but it was a shutout for, you know what, um, it was a shutout for about 20 minutes, 21, 22 minutes in the game, 13 nothing after A.J. Brown caught that short pass, turned it up the sideline, goes 84 yards, cut it back to the middle of the field, touchdown. 13 nothing, and when Vandy, and then when Vandy did get on the scoreboard, it was a field goal, made it 13-3. So, you know, and then the safety, the whole safety thing, it puts a weird score on the board, 13-5, but still it felt like one of those things, well, you know, look, if Vandy doesn't score touchdowns, Ole Miss is going to continue to score TDs because they're going up and down the field. But somehow that deal, that safety just kind of started to turn things a little bit. It was a momentum thing, and that's when you look up, and, and here goes Vandy on a 53-yard drive just before half, uh, about a minute left, and now it's 13-12, and now it's game on again, right? So home team now feels good. Ole Miss gets in a halftime locker room thinking, man, we had total control of this game at one point. How, how are we sitting here as a one-point game? Then Vandy makes the statement to start the third quarter. They go on that three-and-a-half-minute drive, 64 yards, make it 19-13. Then it's a couple field goals for Ole Miss to get it back even. Uh, They're in the third quarter. It's 19-19. Y'all, if you watch the game, you kind of know the rest of it. You know, you work it on down into overtime. And and that was dramatic at the end. I mean, you know, Ole Miss, what, had the ball – Twice in the last couple of minutes or three minutes of the game, they they did not make good on one of them, and then right at the last minute, get it down there from 32 yards out and kick the field goal with 40 seconds left to tie it, sent it to overtime. So it was a very entertaining game, back and forth. Not a ton of huge plays in terms of scoring plays, or a lot of field goals, but both teams really battling. Okay, so you get to overtime. Vandy goes up uh, 36-29. It was a really nice throw from Shermer. They got him open, but a dumb thing on the part of the Vandy guy to spike the football and give a penalty. And so Ole Miss starts on the 12 instead of the 25. And and so we get out of the third down play, and I watched it. Um, because I'm watching it in replay, I'm able to just kind of watch it over and over again. And Of course, they were reviewing it. And here's the thing, the catch, no catch deal. If you read the rule as it is – supposed to be judged by the officials. It's the whole controlling the football through the ground. And I'm sure that ad nauseum, uh, Ole Miss fans and everybody else have talked about it and looked at it. Here's, here's what the rule says in the wording. 
if a player goes to the ground in the act of catching a pass with or without contact by an opponent, he must maintain complete and continuous control of the ball throughout the process of contacting the ground, whether in the field of play or in the end zone. Okay, so the wording of the rule is the whole key here, right? And that's why they ruled it as they did on the review. They initially said it was a touchdown. They reviewed it because the ball comes out, and the ball never did actually touch the ground. It wound up in a possession of Vanderbilt, which is weird too. But if you look at the wording of the rule, he must maintain complete and continuous control of the ball throughout the process of contacting the ground, whether in the field of play or in the end zone. The thing is, even though they're trying to be specific with that wording, it's not specific enough because there leaves a little judgment in there. And A.J. Brown gets two hands on the ball and then pulls it away with his right hand. He's got the ball in his right hand to keep it away from the defender. And one foot comes down, two feet come down, another, his knee goes down, thigh, now he's butt and his back are on the ground, And as he's hitting the turf, okay, so he's not stationary at any point. As he's basically coming down after two or three feet get down, he's coming down hitting the turf with his back, and that's when the ball comes out of his hand. Really just before he landed completely on his back, but his knee and his thigh and his rear end were kind of on the ground with the ball in his right hand. And then it starts to come loose as he's laying down on his back. Ball never touches the ground, and it rolls over into the possession of the Vandy guy. You know, and afterwards, Vandy's coach said that he thought it was an interception. I don't see how it could be an interception unless they're saying – well, I mean, I guess if they're saying it was incomplete. But see, that's the thing to me is like how much time has to elapse from the time that you actually have possession of the ball in any way does your does your motion have to stop? If you're on the ground and you've taken two or three steps, is that not possession or control or or controlling it through the catch? I I don't know. It's just so it's just so judge. It, you know, it's like each individual official is just going to have to kind of I don't know in his own judgment decide did he possess it or not. I mean, and in that case, I can actually kind of see you could argue it either way. And we know that that right there, that particular play in the NFL, we know they would rule it incomplete. I just never looked at it that way in terms of, you know, the same type of catch process in college football, right? Like in the NFL, you got to get two feet inbounds. In college, you only have to get one. So if you're in the end zone, you get two hands on it, you pull it away with one hand. Meanwhile, both of your feet, are down in the end zone at some point, including a knee and a thigh as you kind of sit down, getting ready to lay down on your back. Um, Seems like, you know, in college football, most times that's been a touchdown. But again, if you read the wording of the rule, you kind of compare that to what they do in the NFL. You can see they would say, okay, he's in the process of catching it, but as he came down on the turf, the ball came out. I guess what they're saying is that it, it wasn't like a balanced catch where you possess it long enough. But then 
the nuance is how long do you have to possess it? <laughs> I mean, and you're never going to see a rule that says, well, it's got to be for 3.2 seconds that you possess. I mean, you know, so it's it's totally a judgment call on the part of the officials. And I t- it's as, it was as gray area and as close as you'll ever see, and it happened to be in an overtime situation. And they come back and rule that he didn't have possession of the ball. Uh, Matt Luke afterwards said it looked like we had possession. He was down in the end zone, and then the ball got knocked out. Again, bang, bang, play. But if I'm reading that rule, he must maintain complete and continuous control of the ball throughout the process of contacting the ground, whether the field of play or in the end zone. And I guess that's a the deal. They're saying that he didn't maintain continuous possession of the ball through the process of hitting the ground. So they overturn it. The next play, Vandy bats it away, and it's ball game. Vandy wins it 36-29. Um, this is what I'm going to, like, after all of that uh, non-summarization of it, I'm going to summarize it for you now in the way I see it. I think they called it correctly based on the way the rule is worded. That was a by-the-book word-for-word call. But I don't like the rule. I don't like the whole continuous, okay, because it leaves it open for to be a judgment call by the official. And in some way, the rule needs to reflect the idea that a receiver who's being covered in tight coverage can, can have possession of the ball either in two hands or in one hand. And the rule needs to say if he's got possession either in two hands or one hand and any part of his body comes down in the end zone while he has possession, then that's a touchdown and the play's over. Because let's just say a receiver is running a tightly covered route right on the goal line. He and the defender kind of go airborne and he just like bodies the defender up and out fights him for the football. And I get it in two hands. I come down in the end zone with both feet and I'm holding the ball in two hands or one hand and he's slapping at me trying to knock the ball out. I come down with a foot or two feet. I've got possession. My feet are down and boom, he hacks me on the arm and the ball pops out. Well, I had possession and my feet were down. Therefore, the play's over, right? Because if you're not covered, if you're not covered tightly, you catch the football and your foot comes down in the end zone, at that very instant that your foot comes down in the end zone, you have possession, the play's over. Play's over. Clock's supposed to stop, that's it. Play over, touchdown. You had possession, the ball broke the plane of the end zone. And so I think the rule is a bad rule. It should be, do you have possession when some part of your body touches down in the end zone? on a catch because it's different than running the ball to the goal line and extending it over the plane. If you've got possession past the plane of the goal line at any point, all that's got to happen is a part of your body come down in the end zone and the play's over. Boom. You had possession. You ended the play in the end zone. So I think, I think the rule is a bad rule. I think they called it according to the wording of the rule.
All right, the rest of the SEC, blowout city. Alabama pulled away from the Citadel 15 to 7, uh, 50 to 17. How did how did uh, Alabama score 10 points in the first half against the Citadel? Were they just disinterested? I mean, that's all that's the only excuse. It's the only explanation. A 10 to 10 game at halftime. Alabama puts up 27 points in the third quarter, blows them out. Hey, hats off to the Citadel, though, for going in there and fighting them. Georgia had no trouble with uh, UMass, 66-27. to But remember this name. Saw him play twice because twice they played against Mississippi State over the last couple of years. Um, <clears throat> UMass has a receiver. He is absolutely 100% built in the Wes Welker, uh, Dammy, uh, Danny Amendola, you know, kind of mold. He's absolutely an NFL slot receiver, exactly like those guys. Um, Andy Isabella for UMass had 15 catches for 219 yards and two touchdowns against Georgia in that game. And it was his last game because they don't have another one. Uh, I think, I mean, he's tailor made to be that NFL slot receiver possession guy who's hard to cover. Uh, big blowout win for Georgia. LSU, no trouble with Rice, 42-10. to 10. Florida was just like, it was so much better than Idaho. Florida was up 49 to nothing at halftime. Final score is 63-10 over Idaho. Now, Kentucky and Middle Tennessee had a battle. Kentucky was up huge after the first quarter, 17-0. But Middle Tennessee got back in it, put up 10 points in the second quarter. Kentucky led 24 to 10, led 24 to 10 at halftime. And Middle Tennessee outscored them 13 to 10 in the second half, make it a ball game. 34-23, Kentucky wins. They are 8 and 3, and Kentucky goes 6 and 1 this year at home. Um, <clears throat> State is now 7 and 4 after the 52 to 6 win over Arkansas. Missouri is also 7 and 4 after the 50 to 17 road win at Tennessee. So Tennessee is 5 and 6 after the home loss to Missouri. They're going to play Vanderbilt who's also 5 and 6 after winning against Ole Miss. So the Tennessee Vandy game this coming week will be for a bowl trip. That's what that's for. And where it's going to be in Nashville? Yeah, I think it's in Nashville. Auburn had no trouble with Liberty, 53 to nothing. And an update on that real quick. Um, the, the scorecard, not scorecard, but the flip card initially in the pregame for the Auburn Liberty game had the two officials on it who were the two officials in question coming out of that Alabama Mississippi state game. One was the, uh, the field judge, Jeff Batts, who called the phantom block in the back to pull state's touchdown off the board in Tuscaloosa. And the other was, uh, Rob Skelton who this year in the Alabama game didn't have a controversial call, but he did have one last year, a very controversial call, and he's the guy whose dad was a quarterback at Alabama for Bear Bryant, and he shouldn't be officiating any Alabama or Auburn games. Well, they were both on the flip card for the Auburn-Liberty game, but as it turns out, one of them was a mistake. They mistakenly put Jeff Batt's name on that flip card but he did not officiate a game in the SEC yesterday. It was effectively suspended without anything actually coming out of the office of the SEC. So Jeff Batts did not officiate. And after we noticed that, <clears throat> then the people at Auburn actually went in and corrected that. They pulled Jeff Batts' name off the online stats info 
and replaced it with a guy whose last name is Green, who was the actual field judge in the game. But uh, Rob Skelton, the guy from Alabama who went to Jacksonville State, whose dad was a quarterback at the University of Alabama and an Alabama family, did remain on the officiating crew, as I understand it, and officiated the Auburn game uh, yesterday. Texas A&M, 41-20 over UAB. UAB, that was only their second loss of the year, but they had to score 13 points to make it interesting. It was, uh, at one to- at one point, just a big old blowout. It was, let's see if I can get this right, it was 34-7 to going into the fourth quarter of that one. So UAB, not quite as competitive as I thought they would be in that game. A&M, just much better. And then South Carolina didn't have a bit of trouble with Chattanooga. Final score, 49-9. to So it was blowout city. This week in uh, the SEC, uh, all these I – mean, it's just – it's kind of pitiful that we get ourselves in a situation where, as a league, you have so many cupcake games on the next of the last weekend of the year. Um, <clears throat> so next week, rivalry week, Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, Mississippi State at Ole Miss uh, for the battle for the Golden Egg in Oxford, 7-4 and four state, Ole Miss 5-6. and six. Then on Friday – and CBS at 1.30, on, at 1.30 Central Time, Arkansas, Missouri. Arkansas 2-9, and nine, Missouri 7-4. and four. And then Saturday, 11 a.m. is the Georgia Tech-Georgia game uh, in Athens on the SEC Network. At 11 on ABC is going to be the Florida-Florida State game. Florida State upset, who was it, Boston College last night to go to five wins. And so Florida State will be at home in Tallahassee. They'll host Florida. And Florida State could be bowl eligible if they could – Upset Florida this weekend. The 2.30 CBS on Saturday will be Auburn, Alabama. It's in Tuscaloosa this year. Uh, 3 o'clock on the SEC Network next week will be Tennessee Vandy. The game's in Nashville. Both teams 5 and 6. Both teams 2 and 5 in the SEC. The winner will be bowl eligible. ESPN, 6 o'clock on Saturday night will be the South Carolina-Clemson game. It's at Clemson this year. South Carolina 6 and 4. Clemson undefeated. ESPN 2 on Saturday night at 6 will be the Kentucky-Louisville game. Kentucky much better at 8-3. Louisville's 2-9. And, and then the, at 6.30 Saturday night on SEC Network, it'll be number 7 LSU at Texas A&M. LSU 9-2, uh, Texas A&M 7-4. So there you go. Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, your local Farm Bureau agent. They are the home team. And also presented by... Mississippi Land Bank. Visit them online, mslandbank.com. They understand the lay of the land. All right, thanks for tuning in. I'll send you out with, uh, let's see, what are we going to send you out with here? A little uh, Jackson State Sonic Boom. Does that sound good? The JSU Sonic Boom taking you out here on the Sunday Morning Quarterback Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week.